0: Hey, I'm Jesse. We're in the thick of it, man. This is 1 Corinthians 11. And Paul is going to bring back a theme that he's already introduced twice, saying, look, judge for yourselves. Judge for yourselves. He says it again. He's just given us this teaching about God being the head of Christ, Christ being the head of man, man being the head of woman, giving a teaching that it's improper for a man to pray or prophesy with his head covered. Uh, But it is disgraceful for a woman to have her uh, to... Uh, It is disgraceful for a woman to pray or prophesy without her head covered. He said that a man should not cover his head because he is the image and glory of God. So too, woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. That's verse, those are verses seven and eight. He is appealing to uh, creation order itself. He just is. I mean, he just patently, obviously, clearly is. You know, let's just practice Basic elementary school reading comprehension and employ intelligence and reason. He's he's saying this overtly. He even uses the word created in verse nine. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. This is why a woman should have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. So I know that uh, that one is that one raises a lot of questions. One possible interpretation here is out of consideration for what took place in Genesis six wherein fallen angels uh, interfered with God's creation. And women were deeply, deeply affected by this. And so out of consideration for angels, verse 10 seems to appeal to a head covering, a symbol of authority that is upon her head. Verse 11 clarifies, though, in the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, and man is not independent of woman. Okay? Okay. The ongoing debate within the church world is, is uh, delineated along two really messed up terms. One is egalitarianism, the other way is complementarianism. Egalitarianism is a misnomer because it presupposes that the guys on the other side of the table think that men are better than women and they're not equal. And that's bull hockey. Meanwhile, complementarianism is also a misnomer because obviously even egalitarians understand that men and women are complementary to each other even obviously anatomically complementary to each other like it's obvious complementarianism is obvious to all these are the two most messed up and fallacious terms i've ever seen to try to delineate sides of a debate but they're what we have to work with if you must ascribe one to me i'm a complementarian but really the truth is i'm trying to be a biblicist when i read my bible i see that men and women are not independent from one another For just as woman came about from man, he's referring to creation order. okay see that in verse 9 that woman was created for the sake of man. think Adam it's not good for man to be alone and so God creates woman from man. He's appealing to creation order but now today every man who's been born since has been born through a woman like you're in you're you're not. You're not independent from one another. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? For her hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to argue about this, we have no other custom, nor do the churches of God. So, In the same way that Paul was going back and forth with his balancing act, giving a teaching without writing a new law on meat sacrifice to idols, he's doing the same thing here with this thing about head coverings. He does appeal to long hair as an acceptable symbol of authority on a woman's head, that this is her head covering, this is this is acceptable for her. And he also goes back the other it goes back the other direction. So as to say, look, if a man has long hair, doesn't nature itself tell you that that's a disgrace for him? All right, I think that if I were in the deep south there'd be some people who'd be like, "Hey man, yeah. <laughs> Get rid of the man buns and the top knots." You know, and uh, that's a that's just a cultural preference. But this is partly why. This is partly why. Okay, I don't believe I don't personally believe that there's anything wrong with a man having long hair, but Paul is appealing to nature here. He's appealing to nature itself, by the very nature of a man, by the very nature of a woman. And these are obvious things. This is culturally unacceptable to say today, but men and women are just different. We just are, we are, okay? My friend from academia, in the academic realm, I know that like you have done everything you can to try to blur the lines between the genders, a symptom of a late stage society, by the way. But the truth is that your political correctness is gonna cost you credibility because it's innately obvious that men and women are innately different. We just simply are. And Paul is appealing to that natural difference while calling upon men to pray, prophesy with their heads uncovered. They are the head of the woman. And then for women to have a symbol of authority over their heads, outwardly expressing their submission to male authority in their life. And that these together are a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Christ is the head of the whole thing. God is the head of Christ. So if you had like an organizational flow chart here, you've got God's head of Christ, the head of man, the head of woman. Yeah, but Jesse, what about unmarried women in the church? They're not they don't have a husband to whom they submit. What's the deal? Stay tuned for our series on 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And Titus, we're going to let the word of God tell us what God wants. Yeah, but Jesse, that seems really out of date. this seems really contextually focused on Corinth. Like, I'm pretty sure that if Paul were to write a new letter today to a modern day church, he wouldn't say that stuff. Here's the thing, my friend, I love you in Christ. But if you have to argue from an imaginary book of the Bible, already lost. If you got to make up a Bible book that backs up your point, you're adding on to the Word of God. Don't add on to the Word of God. Stop being embarrassed of Scripture. Let Scripture speak. Stand before God at the end of your life. Be found faithful to His Word, even if that, like in my experience, affords you some arrows along the way, it is better to stay faithful to the Word of God, even if that costs you some awkward moments with other people who disagree with you. I've been mocked by this. I've been mocked by Christians in this. I've caught more heat over this from Christians than anybody else, actually. This is what God's word says. You either submit to God or you don't. This use of context is a fascinating thing, too, because that context only seems to matter when it comes to making the Bible say the polar opposite of what it clearly obviously says. The same people pay no mind to context anywhere else in scripture until now. If you use context to better understand the original biblical world, that's what my doctorate's in. That's my world, that's my anthem, that's my whole purpose in freaking existing, man. Okay, I get that on a very deep level and I do it every single day to make sure that I don't misapply scripture because I want to make sure that it says today what it said then. And I don't make it say today what it didn't say then. But if you try to use context to completely convert and controvert the clear message of what scripture says, then you're no longer treating this like the word of God. You're no longer treating this like the word of God. I get it. If you want to try to use context to re-illumine, say, like the Constitution of the United States, I get that. We can have a deep discussion about that. All right. But This is the word of God. This was inspired by God, by the Holy Spirit. And it's clear, and it's clear in every context, not just Corinth, but also Pontus, and also Galatia, and also Cappadocia, and also Bithynia, and also Asia, and also Ephesus, and also Thessaloniki. And also every single time that a letter was written to the church about polity, it's just clear that God calls for men to lead. He just does. He simply does. It's what God said, it's simply what God said. This ought not be a landmine issue, but in the church world, it's kind of like the conflict between Israel and Palestine in which Israel's okay with Palestinians existing. Palestinians seem in large part to want to utterly annihilate Israel from the face of the planet where Israel could move to Antarctica and they would want to nuke the whole continent of Antarctica. Same thing is true within egalitarianism and complementarianism. Wherein I as a complementarian have served shoulder to shoulder on staff at multiple churches and in the Christian publishing world with people who have a totally different view from me. And I'm 100% okay with that because this is not a gospel centered issue in my experience and my view biblically. It's okay. It's a matter of church polity. And if you get it wrong, look, it's not the end of the covenant. All right. But what I've experienced is that egalitarians view me then as bigoted for being faithful to the Word of God. They view me as insufficient on a character level because I'm trying to stay faithful to the Word of God. And they have, in my experience, this has been my experience on multiple fronts, have tried to utterly destroy me professionally and personally and financially, okay, because of trying to stay true to the Word of God. So let it not be like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Let's be a little bit more like, say, Christians, when we show each other this thing called grace. Because I've been totally okay with brothers and sisters in Christ disagreeing with me on this matter. It's a secondary matter. But when you come to 1 Corinthians 11, it's just really clear what it says. So if you're gonna hold an egalitarian view, hold it all day, just hold it with a clear conscience knowing you're doing so in utter defiance of 1 Peter and Philippians and 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus. And just know that and we're totally okay. Look, I'll serve shoulder to shoulder with you all day long. But this is what God's word says. He appeals to creation order. He appeals to nature itself. It is God's will that men and women serve in different roles in the church. I built this into the teaching plan for the Redemption Church pretty early on because I know that some people are going to want to leave over this. I'd rather just do it sooner rather than later. But maybe, just maybe, you have it in your heart to see, look, all that I'm trying to do is be faithful with what the Bible says. That's what I'm trying to do. You can disagree with me on stuff that isn't gospel-centered, that's fine. But just know that every time the text brings it up, I'm gonna say what the text says. This is what the Word of God says. We don't have any other customs, nor do the churches of God. That's verse 16, okay? If anyone wants to argue about this, we have no other custom, nor do the churches of God. Okay, meaning if you want to bring in another custom, you're bringing in a pagan custom into the church of God. That's what you're doing. You're trying to make the church of God look more like a pagan temple in Corinth. And that's not that's not the kind of custom, it's not the kind of tradition that Paul instituted at the very onset of the church. See chapter 11, verse 2. We have no other custom. We have no other, we have nothing else. This is what the spirit of God has said. This is what God has laid out. This is the standard. This is the church polity, All right? Stay tuned as we continue, because I know what's coming. Um, we're gonna we're gonna visit this text as well in our sermon this coming weekend, and uh, I want you to know that I love you, my sisters in Christ. I truly I love you with all my heart. I can't wait to see you at Renew. That's actually an outstanding place to to be able to talk about this and answer some questions in person if you want to come and hear my bride give her take on complementarianism and why she endorses it wholeheartedly and uh, i'd love to answer any questions that you have if you are a woman who believes you've been called to be a pastor i've got a lot to share with you i've got a lot to affirm you in by the way i do not believe that women are called to be pastors but i've seen god use women in leadership roles wherein men don't step up that's actually who deborah is i think deborah is the most literally militant complementarian in the history of the bible (laughs) she stood up because barack refused to lead and she said this would be to barack's shame okay if you've stepped up because the men in your church context have not stepped up i commend you you step into the tradition of a woman like deborah but just know deborah is more of a complementarian than i am right Uh, if you served in a role that god has called men to serve in i absolutely absolutely believe that god can use you and god has done that it usually just means that men are stepping up the men are leading all right so if you are a man and you've been abdicating a leadership position which god has called you Just like Deborah said, that would be to Barack's shame. This would be to your shame. You step up, man. You've been called to lead. There's no question about that. The only question is, are you representing Christ in your context? Are you living up to this standard? Are you inheriting the mantle and stepping up to the duties to which you've been appointed by the Lord? When we continue in the text, you're going to see Paul bring up instructions for communion. We covered some of the same stuff in our teaching on ordinances, all right, in our previous series. So look up the origins and future of communion and you'll see us delve into verses 17 through the end of the chapter. If you've got more questions about this, because I know it's a heavy issue, come to Renew this weekend. I'll see you there.